Welcome to Talaterra, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion. Tanya. Since launching the podcast, I've had the opportunity to learn from 43 wonderful guests. The rich conversations I've had show that freelance environmental education can be many things, and that it can look like many things. Freelance environmental education can look like scientific illustration. It can look like game design. It can look like regenerative farming. It can look like permaculture, or food system education, or an alpaca farm, and these are only a few examples. Along the way, I started asking guests questions about their childhood experiences with nature. I also started to ask guests when it was that nature became important to them. These two questions became my signature questions. In this episode, we reflect on the first question. What is your earliest memory of enjoying nature? One conversation after another, it became clear that childhood experiences in the outdoors made an impression on my guests. And it wasn't only parents that influenced my guests when they were young. Neighbors, grandparents, and other adults also made an impression. Take, for example, Kate Field, co-founder of Leap Farm who says her grandpa's vegetable patch inspired her own interest in gardening. I don't think I have a specific memory of enjoying nature per se. I have cultivated or had cultivated in me, I guess, a love of gardening and being outside and being amongst plants and soil to the point when when I was a small kid, I'd wake up at six or so in the morning and the rest of the household would be asleep and I would get up, make myself some breakfast and I'd go out into the garden because that's all I wanted to do on Saturdays and Sundays when I wasn't at school was be in the garden. And that was a, a love that obviously filtered through my parents or, or my mother and also my grandfather. Uh, who was a really pivotal role in my life. Um, He had an amazing veggie patch, and when we'd travelled to where he lived, the first thing we'd do is rush out to the back of the veggie patch and dig up the carrots and eat them. Sometimes we'd wash the dirt off, sometimes we wouldn't. So I've always been in touch with the outdoors, even on our suburban block growing up just outside of Melbourne. Another pattern I saw emerge from my conversations with guests involved the freedom to play outside, all day and without supervision. Wildlife conservationist Dr. Kathayoon Khalil shared that her earliest memory of enjoying nature goes back to the 20-acre Christmas tree farm where she grew up. 
my parents would put us outside in the summer and don't come back till dinner and just explore what you want to explore. It was rarely guided. It was rarely supervised even. There was a, a very small creek that ran through the back of the property. And I love to go down to the creek and pretend all sorts of imaginary scenarios and cultures and peoples and um, build these complex, you know, for maybe a child narratives around the unseen occupants of this natural space. So I see that as kind of the first time that I really sought out the outdoors as a place to stimulate and enjoy and recreate and all that kind of stuff. Katura Reynolds, scientific illustrator and content developer, used to roam the desert with her brother when serving as field assistants for their dad a geologist and paleontologist. So we were just by the de facto field assistants for the geology teams, you know, carrying the jackhammers up and down the mountains, piling up the rocks in our backpacks, trudging across the desert to see if that's really a fault line or if it was just a, you know, road cut or whatever. And when you're a little kid hanging out with a bunch of scientists who are all talking in their jargon, it's boring listening to them, but it's really fun looking for lizards under the rocks or or just watching the, the way the shadows move across the sand or whatever it might be. So I did a lot of self-entertaining in the middle of the eastern Mojave Desert for decades <laughs> in my childhood. And so so I, I love the desert. <laughs> And I love, I love being able to slow down enough that you can really just sort of focus on all those little details that, that you would miss if you were busy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the guests who did not grow up with vast amounts of open space? What were their childhood experiences? The guests who grew up in urban settings recalled plants growing in the cracks in the sidewalks. Crystal Mandika, co-founder of the Amphibian Foundation, recalled how she connected with nature in a local park. I grew up, at least in my uh, formative years, in New York City, and there isn't a lot of nature necessarily in the city, but there was this one park next to my home that was filled with dandelions. And so I would sit right in the middle of the field and just blow dandelions for uh, for hours on end almost. <laughs> and I just loved that so much. And that was really the first piece of nature that clicked for me. The stories guests shared with me offer some insight into how they might have come to do the work that they do now. In two instances, however, the line that can be drawn between what two of my guests did as children, and what they do now is very direct. The connection is clear, even though one guest was taken by surprise at just how clear this connection was. Bethan Burton, founder of International Nature Journaling Week, and the host and producer of the podcast Journaling with Nature, was startled to discover that her future self had made an appearance in the journal she kept as a child. My first, uh, do you know, in fact, this funny thing happened because I started this whole process, this whole process of becoming a nature journaler and and an environmental educator in this space. And 
my dad came to me fairly recently and he said, oh, I found this. I was looking, I was looking through some old stuff and I found this. And it was actually this paper journal which um, I had been stapled at the top and it said Bethan's Flower Notebook or something like that. And it, and I, it didn't have a date on it, so I don't know how old I was, but it, it was very beginnings of when I was writing. And it was exactly the same as what I'm doing now. It was totally weird because it, it had diagrams and it had labels and, and it had little comments like, take a look at the stem. And, and then it, ha- and it documented <laughs> the life cycle of a flower and it said, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was about some flowers are blue, some flowers are pink, some flowers have this or that, and some flowers, but all flowers die. And it was this crazy thing to see the labels there and the drawings and the commentary and everything like I'm doing now from back then. I, don't, I, wish, I wish I had a date on it. And my dad had kept this, which is, it was just such a beautiful thing to see. The story is a little different for author, biologist, and nature journaler John Muir Laws. He can tell you exactly when his journaling career began. I've got one story that might be instructive and relevant to nature journaling. I can remember when that all began for me. It was on a botany field trip with one of my mom's dear botany friends. She was a, a professor of, of uh, biological science and a botanist. And we would regularly go out with her and, and have these adventures. And on one of those, my mom noticed that a woman had joined us who had a nature journal and she was walking from flower to flower and drawing pictures of, of every plant that she found uh, instead of making a list or just uh, you know, uh, oh, casually walking by and going like, oh, that's neat. My mom observed that the whole time we were there on that field trip, I was shadowing her. And wherever she would stop and sit down and draw a flower, I would plop myself down on the grass next to her and watch what she did. And then she'd pick up and move to the next place. And I would stand up and do the same thing. And she just quietly observed. And I think that she must have gone and asked the woman, what tools are you using that uh, really make it easy for you to do this in the field? Because the next time that we went out as a family to have an adventure in nature, she said, Jack, honey, I've got something for you here. She, She opened up a little box and there was exactly the same kind of journal, the exact same kinds of pencils, erasers, and all the tools that I had seen being used, and I knew just what to do with it. And you've been journaling ever since then? Ever since. Ever ever since. since. Wow. I wish I could share everyone's story within the context of this episode, because the experiences guests have shared with me are very special memories. Since I am unable to share them with you here, I encourage you to browse past episodes at talaterra.com. In this episode, we took a look at guests' earliest memories of enjoying nature. In the next episode, we'll take a look at when nature became important to them. I look forward to sharing these moments with you. Until then, I have to ask, 
What is your earliest memory of enjoying nature? I invite you to share your stories on the Talaterra Twitter feed. You'll find it at at Talaterra. I look forward to hearing your stories. As we wrap up 2020, I want to thank you for your continued interest in this podcast and in Talaterra's initiatives. And I wish for you a healthy and happy new year. Talaterra is a podcast for and about independent educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tanya Marion.